Hello and welcome back to the Europeans coming to you from London on this end, Amsterdam from the other end. Dominic Kramer, you've had a lockdown haircut, that's very exciting. Yeah, shaved my hair off, which apparently all the gays are doing right now. So I thought it was being really original, but it's become a meme that all the gay men are either shaving their hair or dyeing it a wacky colour. How are you finding it? Isn't it quite chilly? It was really chilly for a few days, but it's amazing like five days later it's already grown back considerably so it doesn't feel so extreme anymore i was like scaring my husband every time i turned the corner because he's like ah, who's the stranger in my house but it's me oh what's new in london well i've just invested in some scissors actually because i'm gonna have to start cutting my fringe soon or my bangs as they would call them in america um but everything's fine here i've got a lockdown tip for you oh go on we rearranged some of the furniture I'm recording this in the bedroom and we've switched the, the bed and the desk around, which makes it feel like a whole new room. And the excitement might wear off. But for now, this is what qualifies as exciting these days. Has it changed the acoustic, though? Ooh, let's find out. Sounds a little bit boomy. <laughs> oh, no. Anyway, speaking of lockdown tips, you might remember that we interviewed a scientist last February, Megan Christian, in an episode called The Most Isolated Place on Earth. Megan was based on the Concordia Research Base in Antarctica for a year. It's jointly run down there by Italy and France. And um, yeah, she spent a whole year down there, some of it in pitch darkness, very far away from the rest of humanity. So we thought we'd give her a ring and see if she learned anything in isolation that might be useful for the rest of us. You just remind yourself why you're doing it. And in that case, it was to do some really amazing science. In this case, I mean, we, we all know why we're stuck at home. Again, from the kind of mental side of it, think about why you're, you're lucky. In the case of Concordia, it was such an amazing, unique location that not many people got to go to. In this case, I find myself lucky because it's springtime. I can spend time with my family and my dog. So I think about those kind of things to keep me going. When we spoke to you last time, you were about to settle in for the winter with, I think, just 13 people. Yes. <laughs> Obviously, a lot of us are stuck with the same people day in, day out. Do you have any kind of coping mechanisms for not going crazy in the same company all the time? You have to make sure that you have a little bit of space for yourself. I know most of us live in apartments and so on, so there's, there's not a lot of space. But if you can find that little bubble where you can have five minutes to yourself and just, you know, be by yourself without the interruptions of other people just for a little while. And then take time also to do something that you want to do, you know, read a book. Um, I needed a whole lot of little animals for people's birthdays last year. Then on the other hand, you've got to appreciate the people that you have with you because there are a lot of people that are unfortunately stuck at home by themselves. Dominic, what's the thing that you're doing to have some quiet time away from your husband? I'm doing yoga with Adrian. Oh, nice. A 30-day yoga challenge. Yeah, exactly. Which was one of the things I feel like we were bonding over when we started talking about making this podcast. Yeah. We were actually going to go to one of her classes together in Amsterdam. and then I did go to one of her classes in Amsterdam. And why didn't I go? I don't know, but you missed out. Although it was a bit like a cult gathering. It felt really weird because you have this very personal relationship with your YouTube yoga instructor, especially if you spend a lot of time together. And then you realize that thousands of other people feel exactly the same way and it's it's kind of freaky. And she is someone who nurtures the relationship with her audience as if like we're best buddies. Yeah. So oh, she and I actually are best buddies. Of course. Um. So who are you going to be talking to this week apart from Megan? Uh, well, today we're going to be talking about marbles. Okay. 
Yeah. Did you collect marbles as a child? My brother had a large collection, which I would uh, steal from occasionally. I also collected them, but I actually don't know what I did with them. I think I just had them in a bowl. Two brothers who know exactly how to make the most fun out of their marbles are Dion and Yella Backer. These brothers have millions of views on YouTube and their marble runs are becoming one of the most popular sports out there at the moment because they're one of the few that hasn't had to shut down due to the pandemic and that's because there are no people involved. Just marbles. It's brilliantly mad, and uh, we're going to be speaking to Dion later in the show. But first. Who's had a bad week, Katie? Buckle up, because bad week is really pretty terrifying this week. You know how everyone's like generally alarmed about the state of the world right now? Mm-hmm. How would you feel if I told you that a European country effectively became a dictatorship this week? Yeah, I I can't feel right now. Unfortunately, this is what happened because Hungary is now effectively under the control of one man, Viktor Orban, for as long as he sees fit. On Monday, the parliament in Hungary voted to give Orban the right to rule by decree in order to help the country fight coronavirus officially. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means there can be no elections. It means that Orban can make decisions for Hungary without asking Parliament, supposedly on the justification that they protect Hungarians from this health crisis. He can suspend certain laws. And the only body that can review the decisions of his government now is the Constitutional Court, which is chock full of people who are loyal to him. It's it's kind of difficult to stress just how frightening this is. Lots of governments have done drastic things and suspended people's liberties in response to the virus. But no other government has done anything like this. So do people really think the Constitutional Court is going to let this go through? Because I know they have caused him some trouble in the past and then he's found ways around it, hasn't he? Yeah, he's very good at finding ways around it. And um, there are lots of people in this court that like him. So I think the general sense is they're not really going to be that much of a serious break on him. Uh, There's also a new measure that's been brought in in Hungary under which if you spread misinformation about coronavirus, you could go to jail for five years, which might sound like, oh, great, the Hungarian government is taking the risk of fake news seriously. But independent journalists are worried that this could just be used to lock up journalists who report critically on how the government is handling the virus. And that is not at all implausible. There is a pattern in Hungary of just accusing anyone who's critical of like attempting to smear the government in some way. Yeah. And as we know, most of the media have some or much of the media have some connection to Orban himself. So there's not a huge critical voice anyway. Yeah, and that's just one of the things that Orban has done over the last decade in power to just really kind of smother democracy in Hungary. Weakening the courts, turning the national media into this propaganda machine, as you say, repressing civil society groups. So this power grab, and I think we do have to call it a power grab, it's just the latest in a long line of worrying things that he's done. But it is by far the most worrying. The government itself says that what's happening is entirely necessary to protect Hungary from the coronavirus. And it's not undemocratic at all, apparently, because Parliament could just undo all of this if it wants to. But the only problem is that Orban has a massive majority in that Parliament. And it's very difficult to imagine a scenario in which the Parliament would vote to take those powers away from him. And this guy used to be a Liberal Democrat, essentially. How has this happened? How has he, like, slid into being an autocrat i don't know dominic 
people change, you know. This could happen to you. <laughs> Cheery thought for you. Um, obviously, there's now huge pressure on the EU to do something about this, even with everything else that's going on. Matteo Renzi, who used to be the Italian prime minister, he suggested that Hungary should be kicked out of the EU if Orban doesn't give up these powers. But that isn't really a thing. Like, we don't actually have a procedure for kicking countries out of the EU. There is this thing called Article 7, where a country can lose its voting rights if it's seen as being in breach of European values, like, I don't know, being a functioning democracy, that kind of thing. And Hungary is already going through that process, along with Poland. But for a country to lose its voting rights, all the other European countries would have to be unanimous. So we'll see if that is actually a possibility or not. I mean, this, more than anything that Hungary has ever done, is really clearly not in line with what we expect from our nice, boring European democracies. But it's really unclear what Europe can and will do about it. Oh, well, there we go. It's uh, um, somewhere else for us to all direct our anxiety and fears. <laughs> it's nice, isn't it? It's very comforting. What happened to Good Week, Good Week, Katie? Yeah, I mean, we're in two minds because obviously we do want to cheer people up with this podcast during this crisis. But it was kind of the elephant in the room this week. So sorry, I bought Bad Week back. I think that's allowed. We'll forgive you. It's not your fault. Cheer us up then. Who's had a good week? Um, It's been a good week for residents in the Dutch city of Utrecht after the local government announced that they are proposing a new policy which aims to make every roof in the city green, either with plants or to fit each roof with solar panels. Nice. Yeah, it's really nice. This is more like it, isn't it? Um, <laughs> these plans were reported in The Guardian by Daniel Boffey and he spoke to Alderman Case Deepervain who said... It will be that when you look at the different heights, the lower rooftops will mainly be green and the higher ones will mainly have solar panels. Mm -hmm. And now again, a combination of the two because the solar panels need some cooling and the plants actually help with the cooling. So it's a pretty ingenious plan and it's hugely ambitious, but it should have a huge environmental effect on the city and hopefully just make it a nicer and happier place to live. And it's already a nice and happy place to live. It's one of my favourite cities in the Netherlands. I felt like head over heels in love with it when I visited. Yeah, Utrecht is really great. And actually, a lot of the roofs are already green. Uh, they had a scheme whereby people could apply for up to €20,000 to cover up to 50% of the costs of greening their roofs. This has been rather oversubscribed, but it will presumably be expanded upon to achieve their ambitious goal of using every single roof in the city. The policy hasn't been voted through by the local legislature yet, but that will come in September, along with the fine print. And in the meantime, there are already plans for a huge vertical forest tower that's going to be built close to Utrecht Central Station and which will, in one building, contain 10,000 plants and be equal to 2.5 acres of woods. What, so just all over the walls as well as the top then? Yes, um, and like sticking out of the side of it. Ooh. And the developers expect it to produce around 41 tonnes of oxygen per year. And according to The Guardian, the building will be the equivalent of around half the number of trees and shrubs presently found in Central Park in New York. It's a lot of plants and trees. Isn't Utrecht the town that... Um... They already like put loads of plants on their bus stops, didn't they? Like on the tops of bus stops. Exactly, yeah. We talked about that before when they transformed 316 bus stops with a really clever design that captured fine particles, stored rainwater, 
cools the bus stop during the summer and just generally makes the birds and the bees happy with the carefully selected assortment of plants. Mm. And there was also recently an announcement that a new neighbourhood with 6,000 dwellings in the southwest of Utrecht is going to be virtually car-free. So let's just all move to Utrecht or... Let's all convince our local governments to do the same things so we don't need to move. Sounds good. I was thinking about this in the context of the crisis we're in at the moment. Um, I read a really nice article from some very clever people in Project Syndicate called A Green Reboot After the Pandemic. They were arguing that we needed to use this crisis as an opportunity for change and to convince our lawmakers to, when we come out of it, to stop subsidising fossil fuel industries and instead fund green infrastructure, reforestation, shifting our economies to low carbon or zero carbon. And we can do this. Let's do this, okay? (laughs) We'll do this if, as we talked about last week, people don't suddenly want to jump on planes just to get as far away from the places where they've been holed up as possible. That's true. That's true. But for now, Utrecht are ahead of the pack. So, yeah, good week, Utrecht. Before we get into the very relaxing topic of marble racing, we have loads of people to thank this week who've signed up to keep the show running. Elena Tosheva, Hilary Hodge... Catherine Degelau-Pierce, David Curler, who sent us a lovely email, thank you David, and Vishnu Parameshwaran, who's an old friend of mine and Dominic's, and a doctor. And for anyone in the medical profession to be supporting us right now, we should be supporting you on Patreon, Vishnu, not the other way around. It's true. Thank you, Vishnu, and thank you everyone else. We actually hit our 100th Patreon this week, so woohoo! Um, Yay! If you also have a little spare cash and want to help us out, that would be much appreciated head to patreon.com forward slash europeans podcast depending on how much you donate you can get a personalized voice message from us you get postcards from us you could even get a special tote bag with macron's angry face on it so be honest are you devastated that there's no sports events on at the moment does eurovision count as sports (laughs) to us it does Yeah, no, I have to say it's not one of the things that bothers me massively. Although I am sad that the Olympics have been postponed. One of the weird consequences of there being no sports at the moment is that there has been a huge surge in interest in marble racing. By which I mean people watching YouTube videos of little glass balls moving down like a Lego racetrack while someone does some very excited sports commentary in the background. It is a very gentle and lovely and weirdly thrilling thing. I've been watching some over the last few days and they're really funny. Dominic and I were watching one yesterday and there was like a pitch invasion and one of the marbles had to get escorted off by two little security guard marbles. Hold on, we've got a track invasion now. It's sector three coming up the belt and they've stopped the belt. That marble is stuck on it, and everything is unfolding here. You have to watch it to understand. Yeah, it is quite difficult to explain. Um, But go and check out Yellow's Marble Runs on YouTube after you've finished listening to this podcast. Because first, we're going to speak to Yella's brother, Dion. Uh, They set it up together, this thing, and we called him up in Nijmegen in the Netherlands to find out more. How on earth did you and your brother get into this in the first place? It was one of uh, Yell's hobbies. When uh, when he was four, he started uh, building marble runs. It was one of his preoccupations uh, because of his autism. 
It started in, in the backyard of my grandfather and uh, he, he built marble runs. I helped him with that. It was 2006, I think. He started YouTube and, well, I, I was <laughs> pretty uh, skeptical, but um, it went viral. Uh, it went big. You say it's gone viral, but it's, it's huge online. You've got an enormous following. Are marbles now your job? Um, for me, yeah, I want to make it my job. I work in youth care. Jelle has a social benefit because of his autism. So uh, he lives from the marble races now. But we have to look how it will work out this year. There's so many uh, things happening now. So uh, we have to investigate what is possible. I mean, this was a huge thing already, but there's been a huge spike in interest because most sporting events have obviously been cancelled around the world. Yeah, that's right. What kind of a jump have you seen in, in interest? Well, a kind of jump in emails and uh, asking uh, for interviews, also proposals from brands, many uh, famous people. It's so big, I, I can't follow it anymore. It's really uh, amazing. We have such a, a large fan base. We had it already, but now, yeah, uh, everybody in, uh, in America is following us now. And what is it about this sport that people find so mesmerizing? Well, it sucks you into that world. It lets you forget the rest of the, uh, the world. And I think that's the magic of it. Yeah, especially right now, I think, when so many people feel like they need an escape. Yeah. So what makes a great marble? <laughs> <laughs> the shape. <laughs> it must be smooth. It must be five or six grams. That's the most important. <laughs> is that quite heavy or is that kind of average? That's average. Uh-huh. All the marbles we use are five or six. If it's seven or eight, it's not uh, going to work. The cinematography is often quite like virtuosic. You must spend quite a long time working out camera angles. Is it just the two of you that deal with the filming as well? The filming, yeah. Yellow does the filming. But uh, there's a whole team around us. Uh, we have a composer who makes music from uh, Greece. We have an, uh, a manager who helps me from Germany, Anton Weber. We have the, the commentator, Greg Woods, from the States. We have a designer from Belgium. And we have the Yellow Marble Runs uh, committee who uh, checks scores and, uh, and kind of things. Wow, so it's a super international project then. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. And we, we need them. <laughs> so we are f- very thankful that we have a lot of volunteers and uh, they do a great job. There is a really lovely community around this. The people involved and the fans seem to be incredibly nice, enthusiastic people. Yeah. I was wondering what the relationship is like between the different YouTube channels that do this, because you're not the only ones. Is there quite sort of intense rivalry between you all or is it quite friendly? We're the first and we are the biggest and the best of course. Um, but uh, the rivalry, yeah, it's difficult for, for Jelle. Jelle hates it uh, because there are like Fubeka Marble Runs that's from Brazil. The guy just copies our video and uploads it. So, um, yeah, that's nasty, very nasty. And Jelle hates it, but it's difficult to stop him. But we are busy with uh, stopping him with YouTube and some people who uh, are high in the YouTube ladder. So I hope we can stop it, but um, it's frustrating, Yella. But overall, would you say that the marble runs have provided Yella with joy, mainly, despite some difficulties? It's, it's, a, it's a happy thing for him. Yeah, he likes the spikes in viewers and subscribers. That's something he likes very much. And uh, 
yeah, it gives them joy. As a, a new fan, what are your tips for me for like how to get into this? Where should I start? <laughs> tips. Uh, stay relaxed. <laughs> stay relaxed. Yeah. Good advice for life in general, I think, from Dion. Weirdly, we have the same person to thank for introducing us to both of this week's guests, and that is one of our Patreon supporters, Liam Wyatt, who not only suggested that we talk about marble racing this week, but he also happens to be the husband of Megan, the Antarctic scientist. What are the chances? Thank you, Liam. And he has a cool job at Wikimedia. He's just all round great. Thank you very much, Liam. We love it when our listeners suggest guests. It means less work for us, which is brilliant. So if you've got any ideas for things that we should be talking about on the show, get in touch. Hello at europeanspodcast.com. Well, I'm not sure we need a happy ending after that, but um, I'm going to go with it anyway, because, yeah, everyone can always do with more happiness in their lives. I'm also a bit embarrassed that it's, I've realised it's very similar to my good week because it's about trees. So forgive me. There's never enough tree news. That's true. There is never enough tree news. And this tree news comes from Wales, where the Welsh government announced plans to create a national forest across the entire length of the country. The Welsh government announced £5 million to start with and are hoping to raise much more. They are not planning on creating entirely new woods all along the way, but are hoping to join up already considerable woodland in the country to create a green pathway for nature and humans alike and to improve the quality and density of the existing woodland. The project takes inspiration from the Welsh Coastal Path, which is a footpath that opened in 2012 and was the first footpath to span the entire length of a country's coastline. They will be planting some rather rare breeds of tree, apparently, including the small-leaved lime and the black poplar, your favourite, Katie. How did you know? I could just tell. And not only will it increase biodiversity and help the climate, but as the Welsh First Minister, Mark Drakeford, said, in planting, growing and protecting the right network of trees, we can increase our resilience to flooding. So it's good all round. And while researching this, I discovered that there's also another lovely Welsh tree project called Plant! Exclamation mark. And <laughs> great name. It's great. And it's a project which has been in existence since 2008. And it plants one tree for every child born or adopted in Wales. Ah. So the Welsh government have a big job ahead of them if they want to make this happen. They are aiming to plant 4,900 acres of woodland a year, rising to 9,800 acres as soon as possible. And according to the BBC in 2018-19, they only planted 1,200 acres. But that's why this project is so great. They are making some changes and the exact route for the forest is up in the air, but they are in consultation right now, working out how best to connect the forests to one another. So happy ending. Trees! Should we treat our listeners to uh, imagine us played on the bells next to your local church? This is what I have to live with. Okay, that's enough. Make it stop. (laughs) 
Um, anyway, have you got any recommendations this week? Cultural recommendations? Yeah. Is this a new segment? I think it is. What are we going to call it? Culture Corner? Corona Culture Corner? Hmm. We can do better than that. Um, please write in with better suggestions, listeners. Um, but yeah, I've got a podcast recommendation, which is an episode of The Illusionist called Tranquillusionist. And it's just the host, Helen Zaltzman, reading 15 minutes worth of the words that her listeners find the most soothing. And it's very lovely. And not all of them are in English. So you might learn some words in other languages too. Shubik. Shushote. It's French for a whisper. Shuva. Portuguese for rain. Cloud very relaxing that does sound really nice i'm gonna listen um i think we should probably end this because all i can hear is the bells welcome to my life oh man i'll hopefully survive this bell onslaught and be back for another episode next week in the meantime uh come and find us on the social medias katie made me post some content this week on instagram um it's not very good but uh, very good content what are you talking about go and have a look at it at europeans podcast or find us on twitter at europeans pod facebook the europeans podcast or send us an email hello at europeanspodcast.com have a lovely week everyone as lovely as possible and uh, we'll see you next week bye